Many people think that we have arrived in this world through a slow and painful evolution over millions of years from an ape-like ancestor. But Genesis chapter 1 tells us a very different story. It says that on day 6 of the creation week, God created human beings as the pinnacle of his creation. So we're going to look again in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to break in at verse 26. I'm going to read down just to the end of the chapter. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all of the beasts of the earth and to and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Human beings are not highly evolved animals. Instead, God created man separately from all the other animals. Despite similarities in genetics, or in anatomy, or physiology, No animal is the ancestor of human beings. And no animal is the equal of human beings. Now clearly, that is so different from what is generally accepted today in secular science. So different from what most of us probably were taught at school or at university. So what are we supposed to do with all of the evidence that evolutionists put forward for those ape men that are supposed to be our ancestors. What way can we understand how people provide that kind of evidence? And what are we supposed to make of that? Well, sometimes that evidence is simply the result of combining human and ape bones. For example, in 1912, a guy called Charles Dawson discovered a lower jawbone that looked ape-like and a part of a skull that was human-like. He found it in Piltdown in England and he claimed that both came from the same species, a half a million year old human ancestor called Piltdown Man. 
But then later, after much more analysis, the skull was found to be human, but the jaw was simply that of a more modern orangutan. And the, the, the teeth had been filed down, they'd even been filled in to look more human-like. Piltdown man was nothing more than an elaborate hoax. So that's sometimes that's the case. Other times the evidence of ape men comes from reinterpreting human fossils. For example, I'm sure many of you have heard of the Neanderthals. Maybe you've met some of them. No, no, you haven't, okay. (laughs) These Neanderthal fossils were originally classified as human when they were first found. But then later, they were downgraded and classified as a pre-human species. However, none of the anatomical features, such as prominent eyebrows, or low forehead, or large bones, or powerful build, fall outside of the range of normal human anatomy. Their skull capacity actually was larger than the average for a modern human being today. And their culture, such as burial rituals, tools, clothes, even musical instruments, all point to the fact that these were nothing less than fully human. In fact, I read an article this week that said that all of us, or many of us, would have Neanderthal DNA within each of us, which proves that they were intermarrying. So sometimes it's a mixture of human and ape bones. Sometimes it's just a human being being reinterpreted as subhuman. And in other times, pre-human fossils can be explained to be nothing more than animal fossils that have been wrongly interpreted as human ancestors. For example, I don't know if you remember, it was 2009, this little fossil was world news. It was nicknamed Ida, and it was heralded as one of man's, or man's earliest, earliest ancestor. A crucial missing link. But despite all of the initial publicity, and it was on the TV reports and everything, after further analysis, even evolutionists conclude that this is nothing more than a lemur-like animal. that has got absolutely no relevance even to their idea of human evolution. The problem is, of course, you heard the first reports, that was all world news, but you don't hear the subsequent reports unless you're really into that field. Then there was another fossil, nicknamed Lucy. She's a specimen, and I've been practicing this name, of an Australopithecus afarensis. That's the scientific name for it. And it's dated about 3.2 million years ago. This is the, these are the bones that were found on the, on the left-hand side. And reconstructions of Lucy are the ones on the right-hand side. And they were made to look incredibly human-like. And she's held up as proof of many today of ape-to-human evolution. If you did a little Google search, or went on a YouTube site and looked up Lucy, you would see lots of people showing her as proof of that ape-to-human evolution. But the problem is she and other fossils of the species have shown that they'd had the shoulders, the wrists, the hands, the curved toes, which, rather than being human-like, 
are instead similar to tree-climbing, knuckle-walking apes alive today. And looking at the evidence without an evolutionary bias shows that she's not a human ancestor, but simply an extinct species of ape, like this reconstruction shows in the Creation Museum, which is more what Lucy probably looked like. And then sometimes the evidence of human ancestry comes just from circular reasoning. Not from a, a, an objective look at the evidence, but coming with it with your preconceived ideas and making it fit what you already think. One example of this is in the late 1970s. It was a 27 metre long fossilised footprint trail. And it was found in Letoli in Tanzania. It's called the Letoli Footprints. And it was dated again at about 3.6 million years ago. And it was claimed to be proof of the feet and the upright walking gait, the human-like walking gait of Lucy and her type, that Australopithecus afarensis animal. And yet even evolutionists describe these footprints as incredibly human-like. The shape of the feet, along with the configuration of the toes, uh, Ape-like toes, the big toe kind of sticks out the side a little bit. Our toes go forward. Even the heel strike, heel first, toe off, walk. It's just like modern humans who have walked about on bare feet. Not like us who wear our shoes all the time, but people who have bare feet. That's exactly how you would, the, their footprints would look today. So how does anybody know that these are pre-human footprints and not just human footprints? Well, because everyone knows that humans couldn't possibly have made those footprints because they weren't around at the time. Because they hadn't evolved yet. See how that's just circular reasoning? Instead of evidence leading to the truth, this is just used as evidence to confirm what they already had as strongly held beliefs. All it proves is what they already believed. It doesn't prove anything. Now these are just a few examples and you can go and read a whole lot more if you're interested uh, about this whole subject. But for us I think what they do show is that we don't need to be embarrassed with God's word today. We don't need to try and reinterpret the Bible to try and fit with the common wisdom of today. We don't need to try and come up with a, a theistic evolutionary model to say that God created man over millions of years of, of many adaptations or mutations. Instead, we just can need to stick to what the Bible says. Like what Jesus said when he said in Mark chapter 10, at the beginning of, of creation, God made the male and female. We can hold to the truth that we are not highly evolved animals. But we are God's special creation. But Genesis chapter 1 tells us much more than the fact that God created human beings. It says that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So what does that mean? 
Well, later on in Genesis, it says in Genesis chapter 5 that Adam, after Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. That same phrase, in his own likeness, in his own image. So like all of our children, Adam's son Seth wasn't identical to his dad. But he was like him in many ways. Seth resembled his dad. We 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 know that, don't we? Because often you can see somebody and you have never met them before, but you say, oh, I know your dad because you just look like him. Or I know your mum because you just look like her. And in a similar way, we were made to be like God. We're not identical to him. Obviously, we're not identical to God. There are many ways that God is different from us. But in other ways, we were made to resemble God. Now, of course, we've been thinking over the past few weeks how in some ways, all of creation reflects the nature and the glory of God. Remember Romans chapter 1 we were looking at, we mentioned that a couple of times. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, having, having been understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. We can look at this world around us and in some ways we can see aspects of who God is. We can see his power, we can see his nature. Everything that God made displays something of God's power and creativity and wonder and character. But human beings are unique and special in this world because we alone are made in the image and the likeness of God. We alone have been made to resemble God. And just in case anyone thinks that that's just just true of some of us, as as in the past said that this was just for guys, because God is male. Obviously he's not. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them male and female. He created them. We're going to think a little bit more about male and femaleness next we, next time in Genesis chapter 2, or maybe the, week, the time after. But in this day of gender confusion, we can see here that God's original plan is that some of us would be male, and some of us would be female, but that we would both equally, equally resemble God. We are made equally in the image of God. And it's this fact that gives us, as human beings, our intrinsic value and worth. It's because we are made in the image of God that we are so valuable in this world. For example, in Genesis chapter 9, it says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. Killing another human being is so wrong because it's destroying that part of the creation 
that most resembles God. It's an attack on God because it's an attack on God's image. That's why murder or abortion or euthanasia or any other form of killing a human being is so wrong in God's eyes. Because it's killing the image of God. But it's also why we need to be careful in how we speak to each other. And James, he says that it's completely inconsistent for us to come here and praise God and then walk out the door and curse another human being. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. If human beings are being made in the image of God, then we all have intrinsic worth, whoever we are, whatever we're from, whatever we can or can't do, we are valuable because we have been made to resemble God. But I guess the question is, how do we resemble God? Well, clearly this isn't about, that we, about a physical resemblance. It's not that God looks like us or we look like God physically. Jesus said that God is spirit. He's not a physical being. He's not a big old guy with a big huge grey beard sitting up in a throne in heaven, as many people picture him. And in order to save us, Jesus had to become a physical being, didn't he? That's the miracle of Christmas, isn't it? The Word became flesh. Because before, He was not flesh. And He made His dwelling among us. So we are made to resemble God in non-physical ways. Not to look physically like God, but in other ways. Now, as you probably noticed in this passage, these are not specified here. How we look like God. But I think that throughout the Bible we can see that there are moral, spiritual, intellectual, emotional and relational aspects of how we were made to resemble God more than any of the other animals do. For example, we are morally accountable before God for our actions. We have an inner sense of right and wrong. And we're called to choose to live in holiness and righteousness to mirror God's holiness. So Peter writes, be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. We are called to be like God in his holiness, in his purity. We also have a unique ability to reason, to think logically, to learn, to be creative, to appreciate the beauty of this world and of art. We also, you know, we, we have physical bodies and they are made up of the same stuff and according to similar designs as animals are, we are much more than just our physical body. We have an immaterial spirit or soul that will live on forever. So Paul says, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
Because he knows he is more than just a body. There's a part of Paul that is living today. And he's with the Lord. But there's another aspect of our uniqueness that's implied in Genesis chapter 1. I don't know if you noticed it. Although other animals, they have a great ability to show loyalty and attachment, we can relate to God in a unique way. Here, when God, he doesn't only bless human beings as he did the other animals in day five, he also speaks directly to them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them. He didn't just say this as a fact that it would happen. He actually spoke to them. And when God promised that provision of food, like what we saw with the animals last week, he spoke directly to humanity. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant and every tree that is fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Because we are made in the image of God, God can speak directly to us and we can speak to him. There's a relationship that's possible. So we have been made in the image of God to live in relationship with God and with each other in a unique way that resembles God and his capacity for loving deep and intimate relationships. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, and sacrifice to God. We are able to love God and love others, because we've been made in the image of God. But here in this passage, we also see that God gave two commands to human beings. The first of God's two commands in the whole of the Bible are here uh, to us. First of all, he told human beings to reproduce, to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth. Remember last week we we were concentrating on this aspect, how God wanted to fill the earth that he created. And so he called here, he calls human beings to multiply. It's one of the purposes of marriage. To produce children, but also to provide the family where these children can be cared for and nurtured. And I guess today we can see that this has been fulfilled, hasn't it? Seven billion or so people in this world. And all of them came from that very first couple. Adam and Eve, as we'll see in in the next chapter. So Paul declared in Athens, from one man, he made every nation of of man, that they should inhabit the whole earth. From one man. This is a stunning thought, isn't it? Because this means all pride All hatred, all prejudice, according to race or ethnicity, is completely pointless. Because we're all one family. We look different. We may sound different. Our culture is different, but we're all one family. 
Because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. But of course, not every human being either wants to or is gifted the privilege of having kids. But for us as followers of Jesus, I think this points us to an even higher calling. The Apostle Paul, he was a single guy. And yet he could write to Timothy and Titus and call them my true son in the faith. They were his spiritual children as he discipled them in their walk with Christ. And so this is our mission as a church, isn't it? Whatever our life situation, whatever our marital status, whatever our situation in life, whatever our age or whatever that is, Jesus has called each one of us to go and make disciples of all nations. As God's people, we're still called to be fruitful and to multiply in this world. So yes, there's a a natural aspect to this command, but we can have an even greater aspect of that. Because we are called to go and have spiritual kids. And see God's kingdom, God's family grow. Then the second command to humanity here is not just to fill the earth, but it's to subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We are called to rule this world and its animals. Now that doesn't give us the right to use and abuse this world for our own selfish wants. It doesn't excuse us being cruel to animals or uncaring to any living creature. It doesn't excuse our disregard for the impact on the environment. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. As God's image bearers, we've been called to represent God's rule on earth. We are called to take the responsibility of leadership in this world. So we are called to care for this world and its inhabitants. Because that's what God does. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. So if God loves this world and cares for every single creature on it, then so should we. If God cares for our environment, then so should we. We as Christians should be at the forefront of environmental thinking. Because this is God's world. And we care about it as God cares about it. And so in all these ways we're called to, we're being created to resemble God. And when we do this we reflect God's glory in a unique way. In the other days of creation God expressed his pleasure as well, his work. Remember we read this, and God saw that it was good. Six times it says that in the passage. This world was good because it reflected and revealed God's character and God's glory. But at the end of day six, I'm sure you noticed, after creating human beings, God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. At the end of this day, God was especially pleased with his creation because as his image bearers, human beings more clearly reflected and revealed God's character and God's glory. And so this reveals our greatest purpose 
in life. This is what life is all about. We were made to glorify God. Isaiah talks about of everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That's why we've been made. That is why we are here. And so this should be our greatest ambition, our greatest goal. So Paul says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But of course we can't look at this passage without recognising that we have failed miserably in this goal and this purpose in life. As we'll see in more detail in chapter 3 of Genesis, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of that standard that God had called us to. We have failed to resemble God in His moral purity. Our thinking has become warped and distorted. Our attitudes and actions towards each other are so unloving. We have messed up this beautiful world. And we have rebelled against God. But instead of giving up on us, God sent His Son, the only human being to perfectly represent and resemble God's character and glory. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. Jesus could say that when people saw Him, they'd seen the Father. Because He was exactly like the Father. And as the perfect human being, He went to the cross where He bore our sin and our rebellion and our shame and died in our place. So that if we put our trust in Jesus, then we have been made a new creation. So that we can rediscover that original design and that original purpose as the bearers of God's image. Paul wrote that we've been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Which basically says that God, before this world began, decided that you and I would be just, become just like Jesus. And one day when Jesus comes back, that will be completed. But even each day, now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is becoming more and more a reality. As we are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory. Through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, God is transforming our lives to rediscover what He made us for. To get us back to what we were originally designed to do, to resemble God and to reflect His glory. And when Jesus comes back, this will be completed because when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Then God's purpose and plan for humanity will be fulfilled. Then we will glorify God because we will bear His image as His adopted sons and daughters. So I hope now you can see how why understanding our origins is so crucial. Because it isn't just about where we came from. But it also reveals God's plan for our lives now. 
And it points us to the future glory that awaits us in eternity to come. This is God's big story for humanity. That we will bear his image. That we will be like him. So we are not highly evolved apes. Here by chance. Living out a meaningless and purposeless existence. Instead we are God's image bearers. Called to resemble God. Called to relate to one another and to God. Called to reproduce God's image. Called to represent God's rule. Called to reflect God's glory. And although sin has messed this up, through Christ we can be restored. And one day in our lives we will again perfectly display the image of God. We are the pinnacle of God's creation.